Welcome into episode three of the Hit By Podcast. It is Tuesday, August 17th, 2021, and the postseason races are starting to heat up throughout baseball, and we've got a lot to catch up on. The Field of Dreams game was dreamy, to say the very least, especially for Lucas's White Sox. The Red Sox have collapsed. The Yankees have caught up to them. Are the White Sox overrated? Perhaps. We'll discuss. The Cubs, on the other hand, they're just very bad. 12-game losing streak. We'll break that down a little bit. The Braves have roared back in the NL East, and the NL wildcard race is starting to heat up. And then at the end of the show, we'll talk a little baseball broadcasting bracket. Who's the best broadcast team in the league? We'll discuss. And then last but not least, we'll each pick a series to watch for the upcoming weekend. Larry Larson, season's heating up here in the dark days of August. Why don't you guys sit back and enjoy? This is the Hip Hop Pod. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. Larry. A lot of baseball news to talk about. Good highs and lows for some White Sox fans. Let's 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 talk, Larry. How was your week? Uh, it was a good week. Wrapped up the Northwoods League season, so I can say I'll be watching a little more Major League Baseball. Hopefully, uh, went to the White Sox game yesterday, so that would have been Monday. Um, so that was a lot of fun. It's always good to see some winning baseball in person. And that White Sox fan base is really energized right now. So I enjoyed that. Uh, it's been a good week. A lot of baseball. Can never complain about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to see a lot of people going to the White Sox games. Like, I feel like I went on my store yesterday. And, like, some of these series, like, every single person you look at is at a Sox game. Pretty cool. It is neat. Cool. It is neat. And the one thing about Monday's game, though, and I kind of predicted this. I was talking with my brother. I said, White Sox are coming off a tough weekend. It's a Monday. I don't think there's going to be a big crowd. I was getting texts from some of my friends. Why isn't the, why are there empty seats? Why aren't there people there? I'm like, dude, it's, it's a Monday and it's the White Sox. Like people yeah, probably won't come out. Some... South side, man, hardworking yeah. people. They're not going to come out to a White Sox game on a Monday night. Yeah. I sat back and enjoyed. I mean, we played well. Didn't have to be at the game. You know, I did work. That is not why I didn't go to the game, but <laughs> Yeah, it was a good game, too, and they played well tonight, too. So, so far, this week's off to a hot start. Last Lucas, week when, I, when I think Southside fan, you're the epitome. You know, just a hardworking, blue-collar guy, just always grinding. Right here, baby. <laughs> Flying that banner from there for a reason. Hey, I work six hours a day. I feel good about that. It's, it's more for morale than anything, just to keep my, my chin up. Well, congrats on that. I'm proud of you. Yeah, we got school starting next week. So hey, the podcast grind is real though. No, seriously. Yeah, we just I mean, we just put in a good good hour, a little prep here. We got some good stuff going. I think we got to start with the Field of Dreams game. We're a little late to the party breaking it down, but oh my goodness. I didn't get a chance to watch the game, but just the clips on Twitter. I kept getting chills over and over and over. And especially the walk-off home run from Tim Anderson. You could not have scripted that any better yeah there's people actually trying to you know yankees fans of course saying i mean it's a scripted game i mean people say that about the nba you know when crazy shots go into it's sports you crazy stuff happens and it literally did feel like a movie 
Like I also, so unfortunately the one game of the year that I really, really wanted to watch, we had the softball game we were just talking about. So uh, we finished the softball game. Of course, I was checking the score and I cared more about the White Sox game than ours. I was checking the score, but when we got to the bar afterwards was right when the Yankees come up in the ninth. And, you know, we're eating our food. Or I guess the end of our meal was when the Yankees were coming up in the ninth. My dad goes, yeah, one more batter will leave. And my mom, don't know what she was thinking. This was when Aaron Judge is up. Yeah, well, unless he hits a home run. I gave her, like, the snake eyes, just the glare. Of course, like, I just felt sick, right, when she said that. I Like, I just knew it was happening after that. And then it happens, it comes and goes, and it's not the end of the world. Sox still have a one-run lead, like, you know what, uh, funny that you said that and it happened, whatever. And then Giancarlo. And I, oh, my God, I literally just felt sick. Like, I wanted to go in my bed and just crawl up. It was, like, the worst feeling. Like, we had played such a good game to that point. And national television, like a big deal. Most watched game, most watched regular season game in 16 years. So definitely cool to say that the White Sox, you know, obviously ended up walking that off. I pulled into the Casey's gas station and just got the Snapchat alerts from Sam Taft and Pop saying, let's go, T.A. I'm thinking, no way. I'm like in my deepest, darkest hole right now. And you guys are telling me that we just won this. Oh, man. dude. So I was actually on the bus with Taft because he – finished out the last two weeks of the season with the Rockford Rivets. For those who don't know who we're referencing, Jacob Taft, buddy of ours from the Belvedere Bucks high school baseball team, uh, big White Sox fan. And he was watching the game on game day because obviously blackout rules, MLB TV, you know, whatever, all those mumbo jumbo rules. So he was watching on game day. And as Giancarlo and Judge hit those home runs. He's like, Oh, you're joking. Like no way. Hendricks blew the save. And then in the bottom of the ninth, the most exciting part, low key watching a game on MOB game day is very intense. All of a sudden I just hear tax go in play runs. And I was like, Oh my God, no way. And he said, he he had a home run. So I'm just refreshing Twitter, trying to find the clip. And when, when I finally did, it did not disappoint. That is an all-time moment. Oh, yeah. And I've heard so many people say over and over, that's a moment you'll never forget. I didn't even watch it live. And that's just a picture that's mm-hmm. burned in your head. It is such a cool moment. And you mentioned that it was the most watched regular season game in 16 years. Baseball needs more of that, man. I know so many people who are excited to watch baseball. I think it was a weeknight, right? I think it was a, a yeah, Thursday, Thursday night. I mean, how often does that happen? Yeah, that was insane. The two hours after, you know, probably the rest of that night was just euphoric. Like it was nobody is saying anything bad about the Sox. A lot of Yankee haters out there. So that helped too. And everyone's just, you know, you go on Twitter, there's not a bad comment about the whole thing. And you just, it's kind of like the regular season World Series. Not going to say it is the World Series because we still got that to, you know, hopefully make a run at. But that was as close to like a playoff game and just craziness as a regular season game gets. Exactly like you said, like there's never, I mean, there's 162 regular season games. Why is, you know, you're not going to get so many million uh, viewers every single game, obviously, but there needs to be more of stuff like that. I mean, they have like the little league game coming up. I don't know if they're doing like a special broadcast for that or whatnot. I'm sure it'll be um, one of the national places, but 
yeah, like the, I just feel like NFL, you know, they got their game of the weeks so that they only play once a week, obviously, but they still do like Thursday night, Monday night football. Like they make a big deal out of these regular season games. And that's, I'm sure, obviously helping draw viewership. Yeah, absolutely. Baseball doesn't really lend itself to appointment viewing. Like you mentioned with football, there are 17 regular season games, right? Every time the Bears are on, I'm going to sit down and watch and make mm-hmm. sure, okay, I'm not doing anything at Sunday, on Sunday at 3 o'clock because the Bears are on. The Cubs, they're on every single night of the summer. And so if I'm not doing anything, I'll sit down and watch baseball. And more often than not, I'm doing something that has to do with baseball. But obviously, that's not the case for most people. And I think this was an exception to that. Like people saw, oh, they're playing a baseball game in Iowa in the middle of a cornfield. I want to see that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's really neat. Yeah. No, seriously. Um, they definitely need to find a way to do more things like that. I know they got the, they're bringing it back next year, of course, with the Cubs and the Reds facing in 2022. Don't know how I feel about that matchup. I kind of want to say, you know, just because I feel like it should kind of be a White Sox thing. Is the White Sox in the movies? You know, it, it feels like it should be their thing, but it is cool. Obviously, I think that'll still great rivalry. That'll really draw, um, you know, those same eyes back to the the game next year too. I tend to agree with you. I think it should stick with the White Sox just because that's kind of how the movie goes. But I understand why Major League Baseball is doing it. You're trying to get more teams involved, trying to get more fan bases involved uh, with the Cubs and Reds. Those are generally geographically close however if this keeps going year after year after year down the line i think it'll be tough you know if eventually we get like giants and diamondbacks in dyersville iowa like yeah who's who's gonna show up for that it's gonna lose its luster so i think they got to be careful with that but that said i'm i'm excited to watch the cubs in iowa i think that'll be neat a thought that's popped into my mind it's kind of like um the thanksgiving days for the nfl season Cause I can see them doing like uh, you know, kind of, you get the same teams normally like the Cowboys always play the lions usually play on Thanksgiving. I can see maybe them just kind of having like the same pool of teams that play. And then, you know, a little follow corn vibes. That's really the only other comparison I have between the two is corn. Uh, but interesting. Do with it, do with it what you Why want. aren't you working in the commissioner's office? Just these next level thoughts right now. <laughs> so after the field of dreams, Things weren't so dreamy for the White Sox. No. Bad weekend back in Chicago. Really bad weekend. And everything went from euphoric for the White Sox to all of a sudden, uh-oh, what happened? Yeah, I, that was a series I really wanted to win for more than just the two, like the following the Field of Dreams game, more than just the two extra wins, you know. They killed us when we played them in New York earlier in the year. And a lot of people were saying, you know, it's – I don't know what month it was, April or May or whatever, you know, you don't need to stress about one series, but they looked bad against the Yankees and they honestly didn't really look that well. Nestor Cortez threw a real good game against us. And that's kind of the last year looking back, the Sox won like 20 something games against lefties. And in the AL Central, we got some nice, um, you know, guys who kind of just put it up on a tee for us, but that he really made us look like bad hitters. Um, ran into kind of what I was saying a few weeks ago, or maybe it was last week that the White Sox, if they run into good pitching, that's like their issue. If Sometimes if a guy's just dying, they can just look like a little league team and the Yankees really, I mean, they just kind of shit on us. So that was more of like a, a disappointing series than like a whatever series. Um, they looked good these past two days, but yeah, I really wanted to see a win against the Yankees. 
after that series, I started thinking, are the White Sox in trouble right now? Because they've kind of struggled against good teams all season. Obviously, they play in the AL Central, and that's a very, very bad division. So they get to play a lot of games against Minnesota and Kansas City and Detroit and rack up the wins. Looking at the standings right here, the White Sox are 18 and 21 against teams over 500. Now, that's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, you you figure a good team is going to be right around 500, probably a little bit over um, against other teams above 500. Mm -hmm. But the whole Twitterverse and a lot of people are starting to talk their ish, salty Cubs fans saying, the White Sox are frauds, man. There's no way they play in the Central. Of course, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to get swept in the first round of the playoffs. And I start thinking about it. Oh, Hendricks is struggling. You know, is their starting rotation really, really legit? I don't know. I don't know. I do think the bats are going to be enough to get the job done for them. And I do think their bullpen is their best asset that they have. If Hendricks struggles, they go to Kimbrell. However, Larusa hasn't really done the whole splitting saves deal between Hendricks and Kimbrell. He's just been going Hendricks, Hendricks, mm-hmm. Hendricks. And I don't know why. I was surprised to see that yesterday um, coming off of that bad series against the Yankees. I just, I've always thought that too. Like they, the team came out and said, um, you know, we're not going to have a closer controversy. These guys are both, you know, comfortable um, just going out and pitching when we need them. And every single time, like you said, it's gone Kimbrell, then Hendricks. So I'm interested to see if that's, you know, maybe they toy around with it later in the year and then really use it in the in the playoffs. But um, as far as the pitching staff goes for the Sox, I think that they kind of have some flexibility there to make up for some of that. Like, I, I think you're maybe talking about Dallas Keuchel and uh, when we're talking about the starting rotation, because I feel like um, he just kind of gets teed off of sometimes. He just tosses meatballs if he's not on. A uh, good contact pitcher a few years ago, but when you're only throwing 88, especially now, nowadays, it's just going to get, he's given up so many home runs, but Michael Kopech's got, he's been a starter his whole life, except for the past few years. You know, the White Sox have talked a lot about getting him to be a starter. He could come down in the playoffs and be like a, you know, a four inning guy. I mean, he can toss two, three innings out of the bullpen as is, but I can see, um, you know, Keiko coming to the bullpen, uh, Kopech getting those starts come playoff time or getting some of those innings at least because yeah I don't know if I would feel safe Dallas Keuchel being forced into a like elimination game somehow Ooh. one way or the other I would not bet on the Sox <laughs> but yeah so I mean their lineup has been clicking the last few days it's they're so spotty that's what I'm saying about that's like it's so devastating when you can just go look like you're killing the Indians you know yeah we're doing so good putting up so many runs and then the next day you do play a good team and you just kind of don't look like the same team and that is I think something that I hyper focus on and I think like in the moment oh this is like this team is bad like this team just is not we're not ready you know or whatever but every team has series like that every single team is going to have a series where they don't play good against a another good team so I think I think they're a good team and good well set up for the playoff run as well. Um, so I'm just going to try and not really worry too much um, for this last stretch. One thing I will say too, I was kind of surprised. So our record, I've always thought, you know, we're one of the top teams in the AL. And for the most part, we have been up there just within, you know, four or five games of the best record pretty much 
for the whole season since the beginning. Um, coming into the series against Oakland, did not expect us to have the same record. And that was one of those things where I'm like, okay, well, if Oakland's playing in the AL West, better division, top to bottom, they have the same record as us, who I thought all along were like, you know, we're, we're top dog. I'm like, okay, maybe we're not as hot as I thought we were, to be honest. I that's something I was precisely surprised about. I went to the Sox game and I got a scorecard and had the records on there. And I said, the A's have the same record as the White Sox. Are you serious? And Oakland's a second place team mm-hmm. in the exactly. AL West. Sure. Two exactly. and a half games back of the Astros, but that, that really shocked me. And you mentioned Dallas Keuchel. Keuchel started on Monday and he struggled early. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this guy is bad. He might not make it through the third inning. He looked so bad mm-hmm. in the early going. He bounced back really well in the middle. He of did games. have a good start. And so often pitching is about how well you can throw when you don't have your A game. And I think Keuchel does that really well because he's a former ace. You know, a former ace can always go out there and pitch like a former ace. It's just that you don't want to run into a situation where you're pitching them in a playoff game and all of a sudden they're just getting shelled. They're looking like any other, you know, mid thirties, high 30 year old guy. Uh, Keuchel is really kind of falling off. You mentioned the whole contact pitcher thing. They showed a stat on the video board last season. He allowed the least amount of home runs per nine innings of qualified pitchers in the major leagues. And this season, it's like the complete opposite. He's allowed like the second most. So something has flipped in his game. And if I'm the White Sox, I'm a little disheartened by that. Yeah, one thing I've noticed, um, especially, I mean, I'm sure you saw the walks are really what's killed him because I feel like if you're a contact guy, you really got to start ahead. If you're falling behind and you're still kind of painting around the outside of the zone, you know, if you're not on your A game, that can just rack up the walks super quick. And so I feel like his bad starts, that usually what's what happens um so i guess maybe come playoff time you know just have a real early trigger on him um but yeah we'll see yeah tlr man we'll we'll see if he can manage that bullpen he's got the tools yeah now now it comes down to the craftsman (laughs) i i don't know if i trust a 85 year old craftsman woodworking (laughs) you know Doing, doing all these projects. Yeah, it's like it's like having your producer trying to use some old school tactics when you're using technology over here. Some people just don't get it. Yeah, it's true. Friendly old man. Will Gray or Tony La Russa, not sure. Um, <laughs> one, one last thought on the White Sox here. Their upcoming schedule, I think it's make or break. So they got two more games against Oakland at the time of this recording. And then three games at Tampa Bay and four games at Toronto. I think if the White Sox, what is that? That's a seven, eight, nine game stretch. If the White Sox come out of that nine game stretch, six and three, I think they're legit. If they come out below 500, I don't know. I'm a lot more skeptical than I was maybe like a week or two ago. Yeah, they're going to have to, you know, show something to maybe win two of those series. I'd be happy with. Um, yeah, like we, me and Will actually went to the game in Chicago when the Blue Jays came to town. Uh, that was a good game. I think those uh, early on in the year, I kind of compared the two teams uh, together too. Both a lot of young hot bats um, probably will be good for a while too. Um, again, could just be a thing. Maybe they're still just as good. It's just the Blue Jays again are in a tougher division. 
they have the tough AL East and um, I mean, they're still competing for a playoff team for a playoff spot. Now Sox are just kind of in a lucky situation where they don't have to do that. And so it is really going to come down this week, see if they can do it on the road. Cause they, they any team can look good on a homestand, but um, a tough road stretch, you know, back to back series on the road. Uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They're going to have to show something or I, I really won't have much confidence in us even winning a division. I was talking to Will earlier. I don't even know the last time when the Sox, I don't know if I've seen the Sox playoff win in my life that wasn't like that I was an active viewer because I was five when we won the World Series. So I've just had like nothing since. Do so, you remember the blackout game? Technically not a playoff I, game, but. I feel like I do, but it also could just be like the hundred thousand highlights I've watched of Jim Tomey's Homer and the <laughs> on YouTube. Classic. Yeah. Classic. Good game for real. Oh yeah. I, I enjoyed watching that one. That's one I remember kind of early for the White Sox. Yeah. I will say I've been talking a lot of lot of stuff on the White Sox behalf. They better come through for me. Otherwise, I'm gonna look really, really stupid. Yeah, me too. Fan. I've been I've been saying they're like the best team in the AL, which that's that's how it is. That's just how it's gone this year. Like one day I'll just say like, man, I don't even know if they're a real team. Like they're really going to compete. And then the next day I'm like, you know what? This, you know, don't even think about that loss. Like this team is just as good as everyone. So like I said, we'll just have to see. I mean, I'm just waiting for the playoffs at this point. We have like the highest playoff odds just because we're so ha- uh, far ahead in our division. So maybe we'll toy around with some interesting things, have some interesting call-ups in September, see, you know, who shines, but I'm not really uh, putting too much in emotional investment into uh, the play, the regular season outside of these big series, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Got to, got to focus on one day at a time. I get I you save myself. Yeah. <laughs> you better stress. And then on the other out. side of that whole field, the dream series, the Yankees, all of a sudden they're contenders, their moves at the deadline are really paying off. Yeah. Scary thing about them too, is that they're, they're hurt they're hurt right now and they just came back from a crazy good stretch taking the or tying for second place in the AL East now 22 days they cut a nine and a half game lead between them and Boston part of that's Boston's playing not not well at all but I mean the Yankees are just winning like I mean we talked about obviously them beating the Sox those two games out of three they're a good team and they got a lot of pitching help coming back um, off the IL soon plus I feel like half there I mean they're just really hurt they've been one of the most hurt teams all year and still finding ways to win. So, also yeah. stick one of the most sick yeah, teams right. all year. Yeah, I mean, or, it, yeah. it seems like you know every other week it's somebody tests positive for COVID on the Yankees, and that's a problem. Can you imagine that happening in the playoffs? And obviously, now that it's kind of run through their whole clubhouse, I don't think it would happen in the playoffs. But I mean, I think that that could be a mess. But on the baseball side of things, once they get Rizzo back. That'll be another boost. I mean, Gallo has is, is really paid dividends. And then Garrett Cole, people thought that he was going to completely fall off after the sticky stuff fallout. It's been the opposite. It's almost like he's used that as motivation and he's turned on an extra gear. Mm-hmm. He's sort of one of those guys right now who you send out there and you almost know you're going to win. Yeah. And I, I, the Yankees are playing a lot of confident baseball right now. Yeah, it helps when you have, I mean, one of the best pitchers in the league going out every five days. Um, those bats, the home runs are coming. Playing in that short porch in Yankee Stadium, I've always been jealous of. I, mean, I feel like any team can be a, a powerhouse there. 328 to right field. That's the Little League Stadium. 
But yeah, I mean, they made the right moves, benefited off of that, getting Rizzo and Gallo. And now, yeah, the rest of the league kind of has to uh, sit through sit through that. We talked how deep they were, and that's kind of why they're at the point that they are right now. I mean, they were able to make the moves because of their farm system being so deep. And now they've still played great baseball with half their roster being hurt. I mean, everyone wants to be a Yankee just when every, just like everyone wants to be a, a Laker, uh, you know, big market teams always get a, the good players, it seems like. And uh, they've definitely benefited from that this year. Oh, for sure. And just looking at their baseball reference page right now, Gary Sanchez, IL, Glaber Torres, IL, Gio Urshela, IL, Miguel Andujar, IL, Clint F- Frazier, 60-day, IL. And that's been the same way for a while. Anthony Rizzo, IL, obviously. So, like you mentioned, they have been depleted but they've found a way and that's it's kind of like the White Sox situation in that sense where the White Sox were cobbling along for so long and now they're starting to hit full stride. The Yankees are hitting their stride right now and they haven't been healthy for about a week. They haven't really been fully healthy since they made those moves at the deadline. So I think I really do think the Red Sox are in trouble. Yeah, I mean, Chris Sale is nice to get back, but they have more problems outside of starting pitching. Starting pitching is their main problem, and I guess pitching just as a whole. They have one of the best offenses in the league, have had that for a few years now. Um, Chris Sale is nice, but in the same way that it's nice to get that one guy every five days, is it really nice to get that one guy every five days when you guys could have just made a move a few weeks ago and gotten a guy who's going to go out and give you a better chance to win every single day? Like, um, it's hey man, just, Kyle Schwarber is that guy. He's that dude. Don't this under- year, I mean, don't underestimate him. Yeah, he's one of the hottest players in the league this year. I mean, that, that crazy month of July. Yeah, that could definitely, you know, especially come playoff time. I think that's like a move there. Like, okay, if we can still make it into the playoffs, this guy's going to be like a huge piece, like a Jock Peterson to the Braves. You know, he's he's maybe not going to be the best regular season guy. Go out there every day and play a good right field. Kyle Schwarber is, you know, much more of a starter type player than Jock, I'd say. But, you know, come playoff time, I think they have some good experience where those where the Red Sox really wanted that. Um, yeah, I mean, Red Sox really, I I would agree with you there and say that I don't think they're gonna finish with a better record than the Yankees. Well, they just got swept in today's doubleheader with New York. You could probably qualify tomorrow's game as a must-win game. I think that phrase is probably a little overused in baseball, but when you think about it, two teams are tied in the standings now. One team's going one way and the other is going down. (laughs) And so the Red Sox can come out and win tomorrow. They have a day off and then Chris Sale comes back and makes his first start in the first series or first game of a series against the Rangers. That's a favorable matchup. It's a good chance for them to get back on their feet. So I'm not ready to completely count out the Red Sox yet, but they're definitely in that danger zone where if they don't start turning things around, I don't know. I've got serious doubts. Yeah. I wonder, um, I wonder, I I guess I just don't know their strength of schedule. Uh, We'll talk. We'll talk a little bit later about the NL wildcard and about those two teams and their strength of schedule, how that's kind of playing in a factor. I wonder uh, what the Red Sox are looking like in that department because, yeah, if they if they lose tomorrow, you can't feel good about going into any series, really, at that point. 
just from a morale standpoint. Yeah, I'm looking at their strength of schedule right now. And the Red Sox is pretty marginal. Um, I'm looking at Jeff Passan's tweet where he describes there are seven and a half really bad teams in Major League Baseball. And here are the teams or how many times each contending team plays those seven and a half bad teams. And the Red Sox play those bad teams 12 times which is kind of middle of the pack. I yeah, think that's, that's favorable. Yeah. It's, it's better than Oakland's, who only plays those seven bad teams six games, and Tampa, who plays them seven games, and New York, who plays them nine games. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those two teams then, because um, I know the Reds, they're on the, the beneficial side of that. They're playing those bad teams a lot. Uh, I know wild card just got real close in the past few days. Uh, let me look at the standings here. I believe the Reds maybe took that spot or just like two games behind. They are a game and a half back of the Padres wild card spot. Yeah. And I was looking earlier. I mean, uh, Fangraphs has Padres uh, playoff odds at like right around 50%, like basically a coin flip at this point. And I think a big part of that is because of the strength of schedule. Oh, a hundred percent. And when you think the Reds, they're always sort of that third fiddle in the National League Central. So you never really take them seriously. At least this is my Cubs fan perspective coming. You always know they can be dangerous. They can steal games from you in September. They're always probably going to make a run at it. Uh, and if they sneak into the playoffs, they'll give somebody a run and not make it past the DS. And this Reds team screams that to me. You've got Joey Votto having the season of his life and looking like He's a rookie again. I mean, just absolutely crushing the baseball. And he's been the face of the franchise for so, so long. And he's really stroking it. And honestly, like, I haven't really heard about anybody else on the Reds this year. Their bullpen is atrocious. And they didn't do anything at the deadline to try and boost their team. They've got a competitive lineup. The pitching is a problem. I don't think their pitching staff is going to be enough to get them over the hump. I think you look at the Padres on paper there to me, there's no way the Padres missed the playoffs. Yeah. That's a talented team. They were making so many big moves with you Darvish, Blake Snell, those huge trades seems like any, any available pitcher they got for a while. And so a lot of people just chalked them up as a good team and the giants came in and kind of brought them back down to earth, showed them, you know, you guys got a lot of good players, but Maybe let's hold the hold the horses on the the Padres World Series uh, tour. Don't sleep on the Reds though. Their starting pitching, I believe, has the most WAR accumulated this year out of their starting rotation. It's their bullpen. We talk to Doogie Hauser, Josh, all the time about that. The Reds bullpen is atrocious. I mean, they had the two starting corner outfielders in the All Star game, uh, Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker just both sluggers. They got some real good players. Jonathan India, maybe rookie of the year in the NL. Um, that bullpen is just, I mean, it's just cost some games. You know, sometimes you can have a bad bullpen and still get away with it, but it's like every single time that bullpen has a make or break situation, it doesn't go the Reds way. So you can look at it. Yeah. They've uh, done pretty much real close to what the Padres have done uh, despite that awful bullpen, or you can say, well, going down the stretch, that bullpen is just going to continue to fail them. And maybe they're not the legit team that, you know, the other teams are. If there's one spot of my team that I needed to circle and say, 
that can't be a weak link in a playoff race. It's got to be the bullpen, bullpen, right? Because you're going to play a lot of close games down the stretch, and then if you sneak into the playoffs, obviously all those games are so, so tight. And if your starting pitcher struggles, you need to have a quick leash, and you need to have those long relief arms to bridge you to the back end, and then you need a shutdown closer. So many times that's the missing piece for teams at the end of World Series runs, right? And that wasn't the case for the Cubs because they traded for oldest Chapman back in 2016. And that's just one example. Almost every pennant-winning team has a lockdown back end of the bullpen. And the Reds, it's the complete opposite. Uh, it's not even close to that. And looking at their starting rotation, there's nobody that really jumps off the page. Wade Miley's having a great year, 2.84 ERA. But, I mean, Luis Castillo, 4.51 ERA. Sonny Gray is a name that a lot of people recognize. He's been relatively productive, but he's pitched a whole lot less innings than the top three guys in the rotation. I think he may have been injured for a little bit. And then the back end of the rotation, Jeff Hoffman. I think he's a spot starter. Who's Jeff Hoffman? And then <laughs> Vladimir Gutierrez, he started against the Cubs today. He's been having a pretty good year, 395 ERA. The Cubs beat him today. So if you're the Reds, obviously your schedule is, is very favorable. You're playing the Cubs a lot. You're playing the other teams in the NL Central who have generally been pretty bad this year. You've got to win those games. you got to take those games from teams like the Cubs. Yeah, Reds definitely um... – they also don't – I mean, you kind of – you just went through their rotation. They don't have an ace. I feel like every good, uh, you know, good playoff team has an ace too. You know, the Madison Bumgarner is not even necessarily someone who's going to go out and win World Series MVP and just put up historic playoffs, but you need an ace who's going to go out there and give you your best shot to win because if you're in an elimination game or even if they end up in a wild card game and you don't have a guy where you're confident in – and then you hand it to a bullpen that you're not confident in. doesn't matter if you put five, six, seven runs up in the first, you know, five innings. Once it gets to the second half of the game, you know, kind of a metaphor for the whole season, you get to the second half of the season, come playoff time, you need that bullpen. So yeah, a hundred percent. If you're trying to build a playoff team on MLB the show and you take this Reds roster, I think you're like two or three force trades away from having a world series run on your hands because <laughs> This lineup is so good. It checks the boxes. You got the one-two punch, Joey Votto and Nick Castellanos. Everybody else is kind of lifting their weight. But then the pitching staff, like you mentioned, no true ace. And if you're playing MLB the show, I think you can get away with Wade Miley as your ace. And then if you trade for a closer or two, then you're in good shape. But, I mean, Amir Garrett and his 6-2-3 ERA, it's not going to cut it. Yeah, it's like they kind of almost didn't expect to be in this point. So they didn't make any moves to, you know, do something past this. They're like, oh, wow. You know, beginning of the season. <laughs> Look at us. Who would have thought? Yeah, we're the Reds, you know, just hanging around the NL Central. Like you said, you know, not really much going on in the division this year. Brewers are pretty good. Cardinals were supposed to be good. They're really not. And then all of a sudden, you know, trade deadline comes like, well, we're kind of competing. You know, this, the division's just not very I mean it's kind of competitive in the fact that no team's really pulling away like we I guess we could make a run at it no team is really amazing the Brewers are real good but you know didn't do anything because they didn't expect to be at the point that they are a few weeks past that now so it's they kind of got I think that it maybe just maybe they'll fizz out but maybe the Padres will do the same because they have the tough they're the ones with the tough schedules you know yeah 
you know, if we have any Reds fans listening or our resident Reds fan, Doogie Hauser, they just shut off the podcast. <laughs> it, they're probably so sick of hearing about this. Like, oh, your team's good, but not that good. Watch your bullpen. <laughs> yep, exactly. It, that's tough. On the other hand, uh, a team that I think can sneak into the playoffs in the worst division in baseball. How about the Atlanta Braves? Did I call it or did I call it last week? Yeah, no, last week you nailed it. We're talking about how bad the Mets are. And, I mean, that division's just kind of up in the grabs. There was probably two games that separated the top three teams last week when we talked. And now the Braves, yeah, had a good solid week and took the lead in that division. A plus 84 run differential last week. They were somewhere around that point, I think 70 or so. And I think I said it's only a matter of time before their luck evens out. The Braves, just based on run differential, are far and away the only good team in that division. Philadelphia, I think if they get hot, I think they could challenge the Braves. I think the Mets, oof, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sold on their chances. They got to turn it around quick, even though they're the only team in that division that really went for it at the deadline. Kind of rehashing what we said last week, but the Braves, they made a lot of savvy moves. You know, a lot of moves I would qualify as low risk, high reward, like Jock Peterson, and they quietly rebuilt their whole outfield, Jorge Soler. Those guys have been producing for him, and it's worked. Yeah, I think maybe the best dark horse trade of the, uh, the deadline, and maybe if you didn't keep up with the first half of the season, uh, didn't keep up with the offseason, you'd have no idea. Braves trading for Adam Duvall to come back to the team, and he's just been crushing the ball. I mean, he's he's one of those guys. He needs to be a brave. He looked good in that uniform. It was so weird to see him on the Marlins, and so I I was pretty happy when they when they traded for him back. And I mean, he's been putting up numbers, winning the yeah. games. Honestly, that bats it's a good bat to have at their base. Great. Move. They had to also make up with the loss of Ozuna. I forget about that too because he he's not done for. Uh, I mean, he's in prison or something. <laughs> yeah, he he will be soon. Uh, yeah. yeah. A lot, of, a lot of players kind of on their way, some big names. But, yeah, we, we, we won't go there exactly. But Duvall, man, you're right. He looks natural in the Braves uniform. And I think their whole outfield is very much kind of built the same now. You got Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, and Adam Duvall. Duvall's not in the outfield. I think, what, he's third base. Third right? base, yeah. But that lineup is very much all or nothing. Three true outcomes. They get on base. They take walks. They strike out and they hit home runs. And in 2021, that that plays. Yeah, no. Something about the Braves stadium, too. Maybe it's their broadcast, but balls just get crushed there. I mean, Acuna's hit some 500-foot bombs there that you just watch on TV and think that the ball exploded. Same thing with Gallo and that Texas broadcast. Sometimes they just hit a ball where it's like, I don't know if this this one might just leave the stadium completely. And they've got the guys that, I mean, yeah, that's why I think Duvall, he just crushes the ball. He, he's a good pull hitter and just smacks it. Those, those things fly in Atlanta, that new stadium. Absolutely. Can you imagine that Braves team with Ronald Acuna? Yeah, literally. It's so, it sucks that he's so not on sad. that team. It is so frustrating because so many people talk about Fernando Tatis Jr., Tim Anderson, and then there's Ronald Acuna Jr. right up there and those new faces of the game, so to speak. And Shoei Otani is probably also included in that conversation. It's just, it's tough to see because I think if Acuna was healthy, it wouldn't be even a discussion 
as to the Braves running away with that division. I, I think that is how good Acuna is and how much he brings to the table. Yeah, I think definitely one of my favorite players in the league. I think if you were to start a franchise, I've said for the past few years now, I feel like this has kind of maybe been a discussion amongst baseball fans between him and Tatis. I think I might go with Acuna. I honestly think I would maybe take Acuna to build my team around than um, than Tatis. I think defensive-wise, I mean, Acuna really can do everything. People like to say that Tatis is a good fielder and whatnot nah. he's, just because he's athletic. and he make, I mean, he makes good plays. He's a, he's an athlete out there. But Acuna, Did, did you mean, know that Tatis fielder. leads the league in errors? Yeah, oh, yeah. I keep up with that. Uh, that's do, classic. That's Tatis classic. is fun to watch, and I, lo- I love him. He's awesome for the game. I mean, just an amazing ball player. But as a White Sox fan, like – I'm tired of hearing. I don't want him to be like the best player of all time or anything. That's that's like a I, very much. Um, oh, hey, did you know? Fact nowadays, I think everybody is kind of aware that everybody's kind of woke on Fernando Tatis's defense now. Yeah. One of the Rivets players was talking about it. Somebody said, "Hey, bro, you know Tatis? He leads the league in errors." And really? some player he retorted. He said, "Yeah, well, nobody talks about it. See, nobody cares about defense." And it's, it's funny because of that player, he wasn't particularly great on defense. He's like, nobody cares about defense. That's why I don't practice defense. It, it doesn't matter. As long as you hit, it, nobody cares. And I think he's, he's kind of right. But at the same time, you save your team so many runs if you just make the routine plays. <laughs> Yeah, they both play a prestige position too, defensively shortstop and center field. So I think you get one who's, they're both crazy athletes, good stealing bases. You got center field locked down for your future, plus an amazing bat. I mean, it's a 40-40 guy. That, give me Acuna. And yeah, just devastating for the Braves. Imagine that team with, um, you know, he would be up there competing with Tatis for the MVP right now, uh, him and Harper. He had a great beginning of the season, like the first couple of weeks. He had like 14 home runs in like the first little bit. I mean, he always just has crazy hot stretches where you th- where you think, you know, he's maybe the best player in the game right now. In 82 games, he hit 24 home runs and had 52 RBIs. That's, that's insane. Half a season on pace for almost 50 homers with everything else he brings to the table. Mm. That's insane. What could have been? What could have been? Yeah, seriously. How sad. Wow. Kind of frustrating, honestly. Yeah, seriously. As a baseball fan. Absolutely. Yeah. What how about how about we talk some losing baseball, shall we? My favorite time of the day. <laughs> the Cubs. The Cubs are bad. And I honestly, like, do we even need to talk about this? This is is this not what we expected? <laughs> they won tonight, Larry. This is not what we expected. <laughs> They, they did beat the, the Reds, as, as we just mentioned. Hey, that was Kyle Hendricks. He went out there. He's the stopper. You kind of expect him to go out there and get the Cubs a win once every five days. You know, that's that's their only win on the work week, and then back to their losing programming. Yeah, Kyle Hendricks. actually got to eat my words. I was saying earlier, I think the Cubs I called the loss, said they'd probably give up five, six runs. I was totally wrong there. But Kyle Hendricks actually – 40 years ago, maybe your Cy Young leads the major leagues and wins right now. So kind of a meaningless stat for some, for most, maybe it should be in my opinion, but Hey, there's something. There's a little bright yeah. spot. You know, largely meaningless stat. However, on a bad Cubs team, that's impressive. Yeah. I think, I think wins, it doesn't have a lot of actual mathematical value because so much of it depends on whether or not the team around you is good and whether or not your bats are good. 
But I think it says something about whether or not you can keep your team in games. And Kyle Hendricks, yeah, he does that very, very well. Yeah, if you, yeah, like Jake Arrieta probably didn't have the most wins because he goes out, you know, he went out there pretty much and just gave up a run in inning. It's not, you, if you're not giving a bad team a chance, then the Cubs unfortunately saw that uh, there's not much you can do. I mean, their team, their offense is just, it, it really is like a minor league offense. And yeah. I hate, like, I've tossed that around a lot, but I mean, some of the, I mean, shout out to Frank Schwindel having a great he was player of the week last week yeah so maybe there's something to look forward to yeah you got some some people you traded for for sure to look to uh look into the future too but right now it is grim and yeah glad that they won because that could have gotten ugly their run differential in the past month like 45 games or something like month plus it's like one of the worst stretches in either mlb or cubs history it's insane. Like the, I mean, you, you guys are getting killed some games. <laughs> There's no need to rub it in, man. I, I saw a stat. It said something like the Cubs went winless on a seven-game homestand oh. for like the second time since 1918. Like, I knew the Cubs were going to be bad, but maybe not this bad. Yeah. Like, they still got Kyle Hendricks. And Wilson Treras and Patrick Wisdom and David Bodie, like it, it can't possibly be that bad, right? But I, I guess it is. Yeah, exactly. There are there's, I mean, there's some ball players there. I got to give them some credit, I guess. But people you're gonna remember in more than three years, probably not. People that are gonna be in the MLB in more than three years, maybe not. <laughs> you know, it's interesting to see Chicago's reaction to how bad the Cubs are. I feel like maybe this is just me because I've stopped following the Cubs as close as I was earlier this season. It seems like really nobody's kind of batting an eye. They're just kind of accepting it. Whereas even in 2012, when the Cubs again went on a 12 game losing streak, I saw a screen cap of an article. Somebody said that David Kaplan was going to sleep outside the stadium until the Cubs won a game. Nope. Nobody's out here saying that in 2021, I feel like everybody's kind of just accepted the inevitable, which is a good thing, mm-hmm. I suppose. But it's kind of jarring to see that nobody really cares. Yeah. I mean, you guys had uh, had your run, and unfortunately, it had to come to an end at some point. Yeah, I see and, that smirk on your face, Lucas. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's nice to talk about. It is. But, hey, I mean, you guys had a run. Not many teams can say that. You know, not many teams can say that they won it. They won it all, and so yeah, of course you knew it was coming to an end eventually. I don't know how many times there's been like a complete core buildup like we saw, where it's just like straight up like their best players, like their their World Series core just gets traded away all at once. And it's like you have your you have your team. Like I would probably, I'm sure for you guys, this is your team that you associate with the most. Like as a sports fan coming up in high school, like that's probably when you're most into sports. Um, that you know, this is my White Sox team. This is the best team in my life so far that I've paid the most attention to. Like those are your guys, so I'm sure it sucks uh, seeing it all. Just now, it's not. It's a completely different team now. It's like you you don't have those memories. You don't even have that. Stop! Like stop! Stop! <laughs> enough! Enough! You make an interesting point about the, the teams you gravitate towards. The team that really made me fall in love with the Cubs. I started watching and listening and or listening to every game in the 2006 season for whatever reason. That's just the season that I remember 
like really starting to pay attention. And the Cubs were horrendous then. But then the next year, 2007 and 2008, I mean, Derek Lee, Aramis Ramirez, Giovanni Soto. I mean, those, those were my boys, man. I mean, seven and eight-year-old Larry was crushed when they got swept back-to-back years in the playoffs. I mean, that was, that was hard for me to grasp. And it was funny because I remember watching my dad's reaction to those series, and he was very much like, oh, all right, well, disappointed but not surprised. And it was funny because that was his same reaction when Aroldis Chapman gave up the home run to Rajay Davis in Game 7 of the World Series. I remember he was sitting there at the kitchen table just kind of with his hand on the side of his face. Not even, like, I mean, he was just kind of sitting there like, wow, well, it's happening again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think just Cubs fans, real Cubs fans at least, the, the ones who have been there for the long haul, are just kind of used to it. So I think we're coming down to the nitty gritty of Cubs fans who are going to hang on throughout this rebuild and Cubs fans who have kind of moved on. And I, to an extent I've moved on to following the White Sox. Um, I consider myself a Cubs fan still, but I mean, you won't catch me at any Cubs games the rest of the year, probably. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, especially being a baseball fan, you, you want to see some good baseball. And I mean, it is nice to have another team in the city where if, if, Cubs aren't too hot like they are right now, and you can go catch a game on the south side. I feel like I was the same way when the Sox were bad all my life, and you know I went up to Wrigley plenty of times. We went after prom, had a great time. You know, it's always a good time at Wrigley, always a good time to watch a ball game. So it is always nice when there is at least one good team and one team that's worth the watching, the actual baseball, and not to just you know have have a few too many drinks. Yeah, it's it's easy to gravitate towards, and I wish more people would just kind of accept that. And obviously, that's coming from my perspective as just a baseball fan and what some people call a bandwagon fan who likes both teams. I wish that was kind of more acceptable. Like, can we just enjoy good baseball? Mm-hmm. I Cubs are bad. I have not watched many Cubs games the second half of the year. I've watched a lot of the White Sox. I've watched a lot of the Dodgers and the Giants because it's just fun. Whether it's the ambiance of the stadium, seeing the packed seats, seeing the fans engaged, Hearing the broadcasters really excited, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Whereas the Cubs are almost setting records for losing streaks. Yeah, baseball is a tough sport to watch when it's not going well. Like it's really easy to just shut off a game. Yeah, and like you get one bad inning, you know, you can get your hopes up, and then one double play away from just not wanting to watch the rest of the game. So it is nice when you actually have something to look forward to, and you know, keeps you into the game, keeps people fans of the sport, I guess. You know, no one's yeah. shutting baseball out right now. Oh, yeah. Keeps baseball relevant in Chicago, too. You know, you got people wanting to come to the city still. I feel like Chicago, you know, just being in the media and being relevant in sports has always been big to me, I guess. I hate when the teams suck. It sucks to be a fan when the teams are bad. So it's nice on that. You get a little respect, you know, when you have at least one good baseball team, too. We're not a, a dump as far as the league sees. Yes, exactly. It's It's fun when baseball is fun, if that makes sense. That's a very basic way of putting it, dumbing it down a lot. But I mean, especially when both teams are good in the city and it's the heat of the summer, you know, it's July, it's August, you're walking around downtown. Everybody's got Cubs and White Sox stuff on. Like that's, that's when Chicago's at its best. And then the bears actually have a quarterback, you know, it's a shame that the Cubs couldn't have been good. 
Hey, that's all right. We'll associate the two uh, associate the two teams with each other. Justin Fields was at the Sox game throughout the first pitch a couple of days ago. Yeah, we'll have him be a, a TA seven fan. Nothing wrong yes, with sir. that. Hey, hey it can always you. be it can always be worse for the Cubs though. We were talking pre-show. Those uh those nineteen eighty eight Baltimore Orioles <laughs> <laughs> losing the first twenty one games of the season. Yeah, that is. That seems like impossible to me. How do you not just win one game? I, like to start the season too. Like you had an entire off season to prepare, and you're going to come into that season. I mean, some of the people on this team, they're good. Resp- I mean, we got Hall of Famers on this team. Cal Ripken Jr. got the whole <laughs> Ripken family there, and they're losing all these games, 21 in a row. Can you imagine that? That's one of my favorite things to do when things are going bad. Is in baseball, is you think. It could always be worse because in baseball history, there's been a lot of crazy shit that's happened. And this is just another one on the list. Like it certainly could be a lot worse. This team for context, we were looking up what the longest losing streak in major league baseball history was. And in the modern era, at least what I consider the modern era, the Baltimore Orioles have that record. 0-21 start in 1988. And you mentioned the Ripken family. So this team, I'll read some of the names on this team. You wouldn't expect this lineup to lose 21 straight games to start the season. You got Fred Lynn, Eddie Murray, Billy Ripken, Cal Ripken Jr. I mean, that's that's a solid handful of guys right there. And after the team started 0-6, the manager, Cal Ripken Sr., was fired. Imagine the 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 locker room dynamic after that happened. Yeah, seriously. I mean, you got relatives on the team, historically bad start to the year, firing your manager. I mean, like you said, good players, a few Hall of Famers, Eddie Murray, Hall of Famer, 10 years into his career. Like, how can you be that bad of a team? I mean, imagine, I can't even imagine, like, I guess it's hard to tell when you're not looking at it from the past, but like, have we ever seen a team with multiple hall of famers be that bad? Like, obviously these aren't their prime MVP years, but think of the, think of the, the bad teams now. I mean, maybe Trevor story goes on to have a really good career and ends up being a hall of famer. And we look back. I think we're missing the obvious answer. I mean, maybe not like Baltimore Orioles, 1988 bad, but LA angels, man. Oh yeah, that that's true. That's true. Yeah, we're just wasting literally a generational talent of Mike Trout. And now we got two generational talents. I mean, two probably the two most talented baseball players that I've ever seen my entire life that a lot of people have ever seen. I could not, talent-wise, could not name one single person that I would say has more baseball talent than Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. And I've not seen them play a, a playoff game. So frustrating. Put them in the field, the Dreams game. Yeah, seriously, that'll be their 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 real world series. No kidding. Are we done talking about losing baseball now? Yeah, let's. Uh, Larry, I want to ask you something. What at what point would you say that you notice a shift between Chicago and Chicago fandom going from the Cubs to the White Sox? In terms of like the buzz around the city, or the yeah. the team of favor? Yeah, I. Uh, I think obviously that big losing streak for the Cubs that kind of downed them before the season, you knew that all the hype was around the white Sox. 
But then the Cubs started to win. And here it was in May, and the Cubs looked like they were a decent team. And so I was still kind of in on the Cubs at that point. I was thinking, oh, man, like people were talking, oh, could we see a Crosstown World Series? Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny? People were still talking about that in May. And here we are. The Cubs are absolutely tanking. <laughs> and the White Sox are going in the opposite direction, still one of the best teams in the American League, if not the best. I think that kind of shifted starting in June and at the trade deadline, the Cubs became like the butt of every joke. Yeah. I think, yeah, as a Cubs fan, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I was actually thinking a lot earlier on that makes sense. You know, the Cubs, you still didn't know what was going to happen this season. They could have been a real good team and had, you know, real good seasons out of these guys. And in some senses they did, but um, obviously they still ended up trading everybody. So there goes that. See, I was thinking more off season, Big offseason acquisition for the White Sox. He's not going to step foot on the field, but he's going to be in your ears and on the radio when Len Casper comes from the Chicago Cubs to the White Sox. I thought, wow, he's leaving a TV broadcast play-by-play role to do radio for the Crosstown team, like willingly doing that. No one's got a gun to his head or anything. That told me, I'm like, all right, maybe this is legit. Let's see what else can happen here. I was wondering where you were going with that (laughs) question. And I got to say, I I did not see that one coming. But you make a great point. And I believe Len Casper when he said that he just wanted to do radio. And it was a great opportunity Mm -hmm. to stay in Chicago. He didn't have to pick up his life and move. He just headed to the other side of town. I hated that move for a number of reasons. Not because of the fact that the White Sox poached the Cubs TV broadcaster of 15 years that I grew up listening to. I didn't like it because the White Sox already had Andy Mazur, who I thought was really good, is Bradley Grad. He gets booted out of the booth just because Len Casper comes in and says, oh, I want to do radio. But if you're the White Sox and Len Casper comes calling saying, hey, I want to do radio, I don't know what do you what are you supposed to say because that's the ultimate like oh look at us now Cubs yeah, right. yeah I mean yeah. that is because you you look at all the big highlights from the Cubs teams that I watched growing up and it's all Len Casper mm-hmm. you can't escape it and now he's calling White Sox highlights he's calling the Field of Dreams game the the home run for Tim Anderson which is you know, such an incredible and epic moment. And that call is going to live on for years and years. And White Sox fans who are 12 and 13, 14, 15, they're going to be remembering that for a long, long time. So I don't know. It's uh, it's wild to think about that, that whole dynamic. I'm still not really used to hearing Len Casper on the radio calling White Sox games. Yeah. White Sox. I've, I've thought my whole life kind of, we've been blessed. I'm a big Hawk Harrelson fan. I know he's got, He's got mixed reviews. He's a big homer. So, of course, White Sox fans love him. But I feel like we've always had good broadcasters. And another little cub, Cubby connection, Steve Stone also used to be uh, with Harry Carey in the booth over at Wrigley. And now he's uh, he's got he's kind of said some shit about the Cubs, too. Like, he would never – He cub said hater. some? He yeah. said a lot, man. He, the, there are a few things I, – I, here's, here's the thing about Steve Stone. Best analyst in the game, in my opinion. He's my favorite. He's maybe my favorite human in baseball. Like, his Twitter is fantastic. Oh, I love it. 
And you, you meet Steve in person. He'll talk baseball with you. You got to catch him in a certain mood. Um, sometimes, as older folks tend to be, sometimes he's not in the best mood. But if somebody asks him about the Cubs, you know, his mood will completely do a 180. I mean, he hates the Cubs. He yeah. hates the Cubs. Based on how that whole thing ended, I don't know if you've read much into it, but it had to do with Dusty Baker or somebody calling up to the broadcast booth in the middle of the game telling him to stop criticizing players. Wow. And so no, Steve Stone said, you know what? Research. I'm out. I'm out on this. But that's a, that's a big loss for the Cubs because, like I was saying, in my opinion, I think Steve Stone is a perfect mix of entertainment. He'll have a little fun, but not too much fun. It's always about the game for him, and he jibber-jabbers with Jason Benetti back and forth. They've got a good thing going where if it's a bad game, they can talk about lighthearted stuff, or if it's a down moment, they can talk about lighthearted stuff. But his analysis is as good as you will find anywhere across the major leagues. Yeah. Like just listening to Steve Stone, I learned so much. Yeah. I mean, former Cy Young pitcher with the Orioles. Not, I don't think he wasn't on that bad uh, 88 team, but in the 70s, he was on the Orioles, won a Cy Young over there. Yeah. He is so insightful. You watch one broadcast and you learn something about baseball. You're absolutely right. And he's not one of those old guys who's like against the growth of the game either. Like he's all for him and Benetti. You know, Benetti's on all these stat cast broadcasts and whatnot. He's with all the advanced analytics. And, you know, Steve Stone, he's not uh, opposed to that. So it is nice to have that too. I mean, he's he's just a lot of fun to to listen to, honestly. I feel like White Sox, we've always kind of had some some good broadcasters and crazy. So Hawk Harrelson, he was actually at one point White Sox GM. A lot of people uh-huh. don't know. I only say that because I didn't know that until a few years ago. He was a GM for like one or two years. Basically, the only important thing that he did <laughs> was fire Tony LaRusa as manager. Tony Russo started managing in like 84 with the Sox. And the only thing that Hawk Harrelson did of importance was fire Tony Russo. And he said, I think it was either, it was either Hawk or Reinsdorf said, um, my biggest regret was either letting uh, Hawk do that or that happening. Cause obviously, you know, Larusa goes on to have a hall of fame career before returning to the South side. Now Hawk leaves a few years later, Tony's back. Uh, and we still got some good broadcasters. So no complaining there. You know, White Sox fans, when they complained about the whole TLR hiring, they should have blamed Hawk. It all goes back to Hawk, right? But Hawk could do no wrong in the eyes of White Sox fans. Mm, That's true. I really shouldn't talk too much garbage about Hawk uh, just because the whole broadcasting thing. He's a legend in his own right, and he uh, he definitely had his his own style that Uh, appealed to the the home fans. And – as, as a broadcaster, that's kind of your job, right? Yeah. You've got to be bleeping me. It's so funny. It, it is tough when you get – um they added his home run call. He looks up, you can't put it on the board, yes, to MLB The Show. It's so bittersweet when someone hits a no-doubter off of you and then you have to listen to that because it's Matt Vasgersian saying it too. It's not even Hawk. It's like a oh. – it's oh. just – it eats at you. That's when you quit. You just quit. You don't want to listen to that shit anymore. Maddie V. Maddie V. And I think the whole reason we ended up on this broadcaster topic is there's a bracket going around on Twitter of all the Major League Baseball television broadcast teams. And 
this is going to be based on Twitter polls. It's going to be a bracket to determine who has the best. And obviously I think the biggest fan base may win out, but I like watching stuff like this play out just because I know I've got my personal favorites just going up and down the bracket. Obviously I think the team I listened to the most this year has been Benetti and stone. They've got to be top four for me. Uh, Just looking at this bracket, I think top four is Steve stone and Jason Benetti, Joe Davis and oral Hershiser, Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, Keith Hernandez in New York. They're fantastic. Um, Crook and Kipe in San Francisco. They're good. And then probably Don Orsillo in San Diego. I think Don Orsillo is my favorite individual broadcaster outside of my Chicago group. His his calls are – he's got some good calls for sure. His voice is just, you know, that voice cracking. Fernando Tatis yeah. Jr. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. I think uh, there will be a generation that kind of relates – or not maybe relates, but – really has his calls sit with him and they got a good team and, you know, you got some memorable calls. So just in like, in the same sense that you remember all these Len Casper calls, all these Len moments, uh, maybe some San Diegans will have that same experience. San Diegans. <laughs> San Diegans. That's classic. Uh, how about, yeah, how think, about you? Um, who's I'd have who's to... your favorite outside of Benetti and Stone? Outside of Benetti and Stone, it's a close, close call. I do like Buscambi. I will say I think he's a good broadcaster. Came over from Atlanta and in uh, ESPN, he's real good. Um, second place I'd have to give to Tom Brenneman and his Puerto Rican partner, though. I think they just really do a great job down there, just um, really explaining the game and um, ethics. They do a great job of that as well. Low blow. <laughs> Oh man. Um God, I don't even know how to follow that one up. Dude, well, Nick Castiano strikes again. We can go off of that because we I mean we talked a little bit about Chris Bassett. He uh unfortunately took a line drive straight to the face. A real scary scene, actually, one of the ugliest things I've seen live. Um but then so MLB on or not MLB, but there's a, a Twitter page like we reference every single day, uh that just automatically updates some home runs. Uh, every single home run hit in the MLB. So if you were scrolling through today, you may have seen the White Sox make a post about, ah, so sorry for Chris Bassett, you know, best wishes of recovery. And right on top of that, Nick Castellanos from the top ropes with the bomb. <laughs> any sad moment, any serious moment, you know Nick, Nick Castellanos is going off. It's like, it's like Mask Kyrie is like emotional Castellanos. Just you know, <laughs> there's something in the air. He's got some sort of spidey senses. There's actually another Tom Brenneman, other than the infamous, you know, I pride myself moment. He, his partner, was given a eulogy about someone at the very end of it. Says, and he will be dearly missed. Bank home run. Brenneman goes, and that ball will be missed as Vado goes deep. Like, dude. Are you serious? How is he not fired long before the, you know, insensitive moment last year? That's crazy. That one cracked me up when I heard that one. Oh, that's classic. I saw a clip. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it was a few weeks ago where a minor league broadcaster was talking about, 
he's like, honestly, folks, I've been in and out of work. Uh, my uncle, who I was really close with, passed away. And then the inning starts talking or starts going. And he said, oh, this has gone on longer than I thought. I hope I don't get Nick Castellanos. And then the first pitch of the inning, the dude hits a home run. <laughs> he's in the middle of talking about his dead uncle. <laughs> and and the two broadcasters just start laughing. And he's like, well, <laughs> folks, so-and-so just hit a home run. And it's, people set themselves up for this. It's That's like, yeah, your worst nightmare, I bet. That's tough. It's tough, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, Larry, we got um, – let's talk some of the upcoming series. I know we're talking – you know, you got the game of the week for football. Let's talk about the series that are coming up in the next week. Um, talk about some that we maybe want to look into or some big playoff implications and whatnot. So what's, uh, what's one series you're looking at on uh, this upcoming week? My series of the weekend coming up, Giants at the Athletics. Ooh. I think San Francisco has been borderline unbeatable. I mean, they just keep on winning. That's a team that we haven't really talked much about throughout the episode because nothing's happened to them. You look at the standings. They've held a four-game lead on the Dodgers for pretty much the whole season. They just have not been able to catch up to them. No matter what happens with San Francisco, they just keep on winning and winning and winning and winning. Oakland, on the other hand, as you mentioned, they were tied with the White Sox in terms of record a few days ago entering the series in Chicago. A few tough breaks for Oakland here in Chicago, namely the, the pitcher who got the line drive off of his face, but whose name I'm drawing a blank on at the moment. Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett, who was having such a great season, too. And you could argue he was their number one pitcher and a well-liked guy in the clubhouse. So this is an opportunity for them playing the Giants at home to kind of right the ship, turn it around, maybe win some games and play spoiler against their Bay rival. Yeah, it's interesting to see. Because uh, obviously if, if Oakland wins that, then they're thinking, you know, will we just be possibly the best team in the league? Um there's not really anyone we can't. They're kind of hovering around. Maybe we'll make the playoffs. Maybe we won't. Going to have to compete with a few AL East teams for that wild card spot because it looks like, um, yeah, obviously there's still a lot of season left. But for now, Astros have a comfortable lead over them. So, yeah, interesting to see if the Giants lose that. Maybe the Dodgers have a hot streak. Um, maybe something starts happening in that NL West because, like you said, it's been pretty steady the whole year. You know, people have always or not always, but people have been saying, like, how long can the Giants do this? You know, it kind of seemed like it happened out of nowhere because they don't have they've kind of had the same few guys that are that are playing well for a while. You know, Brandon Bell, Brandon Crawford, uh, Buster Posey's been there forever. And, you know, all of a sudden these guys are all having career years. Plus, you know, some better pitching than they've had in years past. Kevin Gosman's an all-star. He's been great. Mike Yastrzemski, a relatively newer guy because, you know, he wasn't on those World Series teams or anything. But then, I mean, yeah, like you said, they're pretty much unbeatable at some point. Yeah, it's nuts. And going back to the strength of schedule deal, the Giants, their schedule is going to start to turn a little bit tougher. They've only got six games against those seven and a half bad teams, whereas the Dodgers have 12. So I, I do think that division race is going to tighten up a little bit, but how many times have we said that? Oh, I think the Dodgers are going to make a run at it. I, th I still think the Dodgers are the favorite in the NL West. And the Giants have just said, yeah, what about that? Over right. and over every week, I probably sound really stupid talking up the Dodgers, but 
I still think that division race is going to get a little bit closer, but every week that the Giants keep on winning, I keep thinking, man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they will hang on. Maybe they'll make some run. And you mentioned all those same guys in the core. The Giants are what the Cubs should have been. Yeah, that's exactly the, the thought that comes to mind. So frustrating. So, so yeah, frustrating. Like, I think I would even say I would have had more expectations for this to come from the Cubs too. I mean, and now it's kind of insult to injury that they trade for Chris Bryant and he's, you know, I don't know his exact stats, but he's performing well for them. And they're taking the piece that you guys were hoping to, to you know, he's a former MVP and uh, just adding it to an already stacked team. That was such a good move for them because the Dodgers also made huge moves. So if they didn't keep up, then maybe it would have been uh, just kind of a Dodgers second half sweep, you know, but, you know, Giants obviously still a very good team, very good team. And that Chris Bryant move in so many ways, he's a perfect fit in San Francisco. You talked about the experience and the core that they have. Bryant slides right in. He's won a World Series. He's won an MVP. He's won Rookie of the Year. He's so used to being the guy, but at the same time, being around people who know how to win. And you put him in that locker room, I'm sure that's a great fit. So I'm, I'm really happy for Chris. You know, that sounds cheesy, and I don't know the guy personally, needless to say. But it's good to see him succeeding. And it's, he's a lot easier to root for than Anthony Rizzo is on the Yankees right now because mm-hmm. the Yankees are a whole lot less likable. The Giants, on the other hand, kind of the surprise of the year, to be honest. I mean, they've been so much fun to watch and so good all year long, and they're here to stay. And that team is, is pretty easy to root for. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even really think about that, but Chris Bryant, I mean, you're right. He fits right in just a bunch of veterans, a bunch of, you know, good ball players. That team looks like it's just ready for the world series or ready for a deep playoff push. Like they've all been there before we've all seen it. So it just seems like it's, you know, kind of bound to happen. They always have these crazy years it's on and off every other year. They're just, you know, I think there were the years between their world series. I don't even know if they made the playoffs every year. Like it's just kind of, okay, giants are good. This is their year. And then, you know, you don't hear about them, but like, oh, hey, Giants are good. It's their year. So we'll see. We'll see. I honestly think I didn't really expect it from their earlier teams. 2015, I didn't think like, well, I just didn't think that they were a World Series team. But now it's like, okay, I can see it now. Yeah. Now that I know a little more baseball. (laughs) How about your series? What are you watching? I'm going to be that guy. Oh, come on. I knew it. Well, we'll talk some others, but White Sox Rays is huge. It's, you know, in Tampa, beat them when they were in Chicago, but it's time to get down to the nutters, the butters, and the gutters, see what the Sox are made of. I mean, if we go out there and get embarrassed, then that's like a whole momentum shift as far as the fans are. I know it's obviously the regular season, not really going to change much as far as playoff implications. You know, obviously the Rays, maybe it could end up uh, figuring out the one seed or something like that. That's a little optimistic, though. Sox are like five games back from that. So really just going in there to see if we can compete with these good teams. And, you know, the Rays may be in the same boat. They obviously play the better teams more often, but they lost to the Sox the first time. Um, It's just going to be a lot of good baseball, too. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. You know, I knew you were going to pick the White Sox and Rays, so I didn't pick the White Sox and Rays. (laughs) But that that would have been my series to watch. We we didn't tell each other which series we picked beforehand to – kind of keep the element of surprise, but I'll, I threw you a bone there. You're welcome. Yeah, no, that, that's hard not to. <laughs> yeah, you picked a good uh, one though. Yeah. Like 
both kind of same sense, like real good teams. You're just going to be watching good baseball. Interested yeah. to see uh, which kind of which direction these teams are headed. West Coast baseball, man. It's electric. Can't go wrong. Great broadcasters, great baseball. Seriously. Checks all the boxes for me. Maybe some late starts. That's what I don't don't love about that. I like it. You're not a late night guy, Lucas. Here, right, here we yeah. are, of course, you know, I, I know we have to record our, our podcast really early in, at night so you can go to bed early. Um, but yeah, I, I understand. Nah, I'm, a, I'm a seven o'clock guy. Let me get my frozen pizza made. Let me sit down, enjoy my dinner with my white socks and get to bed. You know, maybe that sounds like a pretty good routine. If it's a bad game, you know, you just need to sleep it away. You know, I can't be staying up till 1 a.m. and then still watching a loss. That's just heartbreak. You're stressing yourself out too much at that point. Especially in the playoffs, man. I remember 2016, I think it was game two or three of the DS when the Cubs were in San Francisco. They were trailing real bad. I think the series was tied at one. And the Cubs were, I think, down by four. And they were looking real bad. I said, I can't watch anymore. I just went upstairs and I laid in bed for... 30 minutes or so. And then the Cubs turned it around and I said, Oh, worked like a charm. Sometimes you just need a nap. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Seriously. I'm so superstitious as like a viewer too. like, Oh, oh man, man, I'll go from watching it in the family room, like to watching it in the TV or in my bedroom last year. I think Will was here for the Lucas Giolito no hitter. And I didn't say a word to him since until like the eighth <laughs> inning when he just walked in and was like, dude, Giolito's throwing a no, no right now. I'm like, I know I've been watching every single pitch. But I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stay in my bed and watch the rest of it. So can you please get out of this room? Like baseball's going on. That's the best when you're so emotionally invested, where you got to be superstitious about it, and you know mm-hmm. damn well you're having no effect on the game, but you just got to do it anyways. Yeah, yeah you're paying attention so much to the things that you're doing and relating them to the game, just making these ridiculous connections. But hey, the no no was was a no no, so it worked. What's what's the go to? mid-game intense playoff game snack what what do you what are you munching on frozen pizza for sure 100 percent. you just keep chucking them in the oven as the game goes <laughs> yeah, on keep them in. Uh, all right larry um maybe some kettle cooked chips get a little crunch get the mind off of it if i can't because for, for me is- like it i either i'm not gonna eat during the game at all like i can't or it's just it's constant yeah just down the shoot down the shoot just nervous eating that's how it was 2016 man i miss having a good team to watch larry i smoke that's what i do yeah that's my mid-game snack (laughs) chain smoker when it's going tough (laughs) they're uh good good smoking story from the rivets this past year we had a closer his name was chan and we got him from taiwan and our gm told me he said we're having a player come in from taiwan i was like oh where does he play at school he's like he just plays in taiwan he's never been to the united states and so i'm thinking to myself i don't know what to expect from this guy and he comes in and i talked to him a little bit on his first day he doesn't know much english at all and you know he starts picking up some english first few days and by the first team workout i noticed this dude he's packing the fattest slips on the team (laughs) first road trip (laughs) Uh, our manager caught him smoking a cigarette <laughs> in the bus bathroom. <laughs> but this dude is like an electric pitcher. So really? we, we just didn't ask questions. We got <laughs> off the bus. You know, Chan would go smoke his cigarettes. We'd go to the stadium. 
Here's the ninth, hand the ball to Chan. He'd go out and shove. So that was, you know, sometimes you just don't ask questions. Whatever works, works. Nothing beats an old half-pound baseball dip right in the lip. Jose oh, Abreu's yeah. got some warmth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chewing on something. Those, those Cubans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those baseball players, man, yeah, just in serious. general. God. You know, we're, you know, we got the big league chew. We, yes. we thought we were those guys at some point. Oh, yeah. You, you ever uh, get a bunch of Tootsie Rolls and put them on your mouth and pretend it's Larry, I don't want to hang you out to dry, so I'll say yeah, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, that's a great April Fool's joke. <laughs> you come home with a, a bunch of Tootsie Rolls in your mouth, pretend it's dip, try and fool your mom. That's a good Get one. That that's nasty. a good one. Yeah, Folks at home, write that one down. Get back to go. us you, on April 1st. You take anything away from this, you have your next April Fool's joke. Mm, tootsie Roll dip, baby. <laughs> Larry, a lot of fun talking to you tonight. Oh yeah. It was, we covered all the bases and then some that's, you just got to enjoy it. Conversation, baby. Baseball doesn't get better than this. Yes, indeed. Just shooting the breeze and uh, trying not to, to be too bad. I think we've done an all right job of that so far. We'll, uh, we're we'll talk to you guys. We're trying. We'll talk to you guys next week after a big week of baseball, but I uh, appreciate you guys listening. Larry Larson. Like I said, always fun talking in, talking in. Whoa. Now, Good time to run, end it. run it back, run it back, run it back. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Appreciate it all. Thanks for listening to the Hip Hop Pod. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. Because there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. <laughs>